Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Thank you, Reagan, for reading. Probably a little bit different for each individual, but my guess is that at some point in time, you come to a place in life where you realize that Life is not easy, and it's really complicated. For some, that probably hits them very, very early in life. For others, maybe things are going, around, going along just fine, and then challenging times hit. There are times where you realize the questions of life are hard. The answers are harder if there are any answers at all. Inevitably, there, there are things in life that make you realize you are not in control of many, many things. There are situations in life where you realize I have limits, and one of those limits that you begin to notice, begin to experience, is just the, the limit of time when you have to wait. You realize that just because you want something doesn't mean you can get it immediately, doesn't mean you can get it now. There are definitely scenarios where we find waiting hard. We all wait, but there's, there's times where we find waiting hard. One of those scenarios is Kind of in general, when we want something that's good, we know something good is coming or we believe it's coming, but we have to wait for it. So Sean and I were engaged for 18 months. Like 18 months, we're just ready for May 19th to get here. And that that day, you know, kind of circled on our calendar and, and then you have kids and you look forward to that day coming and you know the day's coming and you look forward to that. There are good things that we wait for and we know, uh, I'm just not there. I I have to wait. And then there's another scenario where waiting becomes hard. And I think that scenario is when we're actually going through a difficult time, a difficult season, and we want it to end. And there's really no, like, we we can't figure out when it's going to come to an end. And so it's not so much something good that we look forward to happening, but something hard that we look forward to being over. We say, my goodness, this just needs to come to an end, and it's taking longer than we wish. The subject of patience is on James' mind as he begins to close out this letter. So in the passage that Reagan read a moment ago, four times the word patience is used. Verse 7, be patient. It's a command. Verse 7 also, the farmer has to exercise patience. Verse 8, another command be patient. Verse 10, the prophets are an example of patience for us. 
This whole theme of waiting and patience. And actually in verse 11, on a related note, is a word used twice, and that's being steadfast or steadfastness. Again, with this idea of waiting, we're experiencing the limiting factor of things not happening now. The idea of something good is not happening now. James is saying, like, remember the farmer, the farmer is ready, and maybe we don't have a lot of association or familiarity with, with farming, but I think we can all get the picture. The, the farmer is waiting for the crop, waiting for the harvest, because when that comes, I mean, that's going to be valuable to him. And there's nothing that farmer can do to make the early rains, the later rains, the seasonal rains come. There's nothing that farmer can do but wait. There's good coming, but the farmer has to wait for it. And then on the difficult side of things, James says, like, you know, the prophets suffered and they waited and they suffered and they waited. Why did the prophets suffer? Because they spoke what God wanted them to speak and that wasn't always well received. And they were persecuted. Read Isaiah, read Jeremiah, read about Elijah. They were persecuted and And sometimes they would say, this is what God says. They were persecuted and had to wait on the Lord to be vindicated. Or even consider the example of Job, who experienced such loss. Kind of right there in the middle of our Bible is the story of Job. who basically, systematically had everything taken away from him, broken down, and had to wait on the Lord. Patience implies like, I'd like to be at the finish line, but I'm not. See, you don't have to, I was driving to a church today and actually got a couple green lights and went through the green, I never exercise patience at green lights. We just go through them. I don't even think twice about it. But it's when like, no, no, it's not happening like I think it should. And either I can't do much to change it, so that requires patience if I just can't seem to do much to change it, Or maybe it's not so much that I can't do, I could do, but it would be unwise or really not that good. If I I went, you know, kind of tried to make something happen, it may not be the wisest course. So I have to be patient. It's an ability to take and absorb difficult things and difficult circumstances, maybe even difficult people. Being steadfast is this endurance, like hanging in there. And and I, I just think, I don't know all the backstories. I don't know all the things that people are enduring, but I would have to think there are a lot of people having to exercise a lot of patience right now. I just, again, thinking through a few scenarios, I think of those that are looking forward to graduation. And it's like, it's coming. And man, that'll be a good day. Entering into the next phase of life has a lot of promise. Maybe it's even a promotion. If I could get that, like, I, I think it's coming, but I'm not sure when. Or maybe there's waiting on some major life stage, meeting someone, maybe marrying someone, maybe having kids or bringing foster kids into your home or maybe getting a, a new home or something. I mean, there's all sorts of things that maybe that's where you find yourself waiting. Maybe it's some injustice that you've experienced and you're waiting on. Maybe it is even playing out in... in the legal realm right now, but you're waiting on this to be just what's right to be done. Maybe there's some sort of medical issue. Likely there is. Likely there is in someone that we know, someone close to us, where they're waiting on uh, to see whether some treatment plan is going to work, some test is going to happen, some appointment is going to get scheduled. And like once that happens, then there's like some procedure is going to be done. Then, but, but until now, there's not maybe a lot you can do with that, maybe it's a season of life where you feel like really stuck. 
kind of jammed into a job that you'd rather not be in or working with employees that you'd rather not be with. Maybe it's hard. It's a, it's a season that's tough for your soul. Maybe you're like, how long am I going to have to live on this paycheck, this economic forecast? Because like the math doesn't work here. And how, how is this going to resolve? And maybe that's where you're waiting. I really don't know. Uh, but just in a few scenarios, if I play them out in my mind, knowing even stories that I do know, I feel like there's a lot of people in our congregation waiting. And James gives you a word, and it's not an easy word, it's a very hard word, although it's a very simple word, and that is to be patient. Be patient. And interestingly enough, James doesn't direct that at us individually, not just as individuals, but I noticed as I was reading this passage four times in just those five or six verses that were read, four times the word brothers is used, or brothers and sisters. So that tells me something. It tells me, I mean, for all the cliche that I'm tired of, you're probably tired of, like we're all in this together. There is a sense in waiting that brothers and sisters in Christ, as a church family like ours, we are in this. We are brothers and sisters hearing from the Lord saying, be patient. Be patient, not just you individually, but be patient together. So how, how are we going to exercise patience? How's, that gonna, how's this passage going to help us? So the biggest help in my mind is that it speaks to a couple of questions that I want us to walk through just for a brief time today. A couple of questions. One of that is like what being patient actually looks like and then also why we should be patient. So can we start with that first question? What does being patient, what does it actually look like? How can you be faithful? How can I be faithful as we wait on the Lord? So it's one thing for me to just say, hey, be patient. Or tell myself, like, you got to be patient. But what does that actually look like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, a month from now, a year from now? Well, we're told a few things. We're told in verse 8 that in the middle of kind of both these commands to be patient, we're told to establish our hearts. Establish, fortify like make it stronger. Establish your heart with hope. Establish your heart with courage. Establish your heart. Reinforce it. Establish your heart. Well, how do we do that? Establish your heart by going to the Lord in prayer. Establish your heart, like fortify your heart by actually talking to God as you wait. By, I like the way someone has said it, unburdening your soul. So you have all these burdens and they weigh you down. And then you pour them out to the Lord. Reminding yourself that I can cast my anxieties and my cares on him because he cares for me. You unburden your soul. That's one of the ways we would establish our hearts is by talking to the Lord more, not less. Another way we would establish our hearts is by, I mean, we're looking at each other, we're in a room, praise God, we can gather together as a, as a group this morning, or maybe you're even watching online, and you're gathering with us as you're able to there. But I wonder if one of the ways we would establish our hearts is by approaching brothers and sisters in Christ, people that we know that are for us, that love us, and approaching them with words that maybe aren't easy to say, but maybe we've needed to say them for a long time, and maybe that's like, I am really struggling with something. 
And one of the ways you might establish your heart is by verbalizing that to another Christian who may either take a, time, take a moment to pray for you or remind you of something about the, the truth of who God is and how much he cares, or maybe just sit with you and listen. Well, there's something about that to know someone cares, someone hears, someone knows, someone is alongside me, I'm not alone. Establish your hearts, establish your heart through prayer, through each other, establish your heart through God's word, through taking it in, through reading it, through listening to it, through reading books about it, through devotionals about it. I mean, taking God's word in so that you're, like, you're reading and your heart's a little shaky, like all of us are at times, and you read Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Or you remind yourself of the truth of God's word in in 1 Thessalonians 3, that the Lord will establish your hearts. So as you're working to establish your heart, you, you remind yourself, oh, God is at work in this too. He's my refuge and my strength, my fortress, where I can run into it and be safe. Or 1 Peter 5, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Establish your heart. Like, reinforce it because it may be a little wobbly it may be shaky i feel like one of the ways the lord regularly establishes my heart is through music so you learn some of the songs that we even sing in here and and plenty of others that we don't sing in here on a weekly basis but what does it do to establish my heart when i sing or when i hear sometimes you can't even get the words out but you you begin to sing there. He meets us in our mourning with a love that casts out fear. He's working in our waiting, sanctifying us. When beyond our understanding, he's teaching us to trust. Or when we sing, when peace like a river attends my way. And when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you've taught me to say. And sometimes it's, it's like we're saying it is well with my soul when, frankly, we're not quite there. But it's not a lie. It's an aspiration. Like we want it to be well with our soul, so we sing it. We sing to the Lord who is our rock and our redeemer. I just think music has a way of like fortifying, strengthening our soul so that we can remain steadfast, so that we can be patient. And, and even a person is called out in this passage. In verse 11, it says like, let's consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, which I'm so glad out of all the characters in the Bible, when James wants to talk to us about patience and like hanging in there being steadfast, he pulls this example of Job. Why is that so meaningful to me? I was actually reading through Job in my Bible reading plan. It had me going through the book of Job this week. And so Job here says he remains steadfast. And yet what I read in Job is like whole chapters where he's asking God, Why? whole chapters where he's saying, Lord, I cannot believe this is happening. Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. It really doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem equitable. Lord, I, I don't know how I can live any longer when all these things have been taken away from me. So if you have in your mind, okay, steadfastness means I just like stiff upper lip. I'm not gonna, you know, I never can, 
never can even tell God that this is hurtful or frustrating, I never can voice that, then you actually don't have the picture of Job because Job gives you chapter after chapter after chapter of Job wrestling, but still in the midst of it, he's able to say things like, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And those aren't cheap words, those are hard words for Job to say. And he says, he says even in Job chapter 2, shall we receive good from God and not evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So I love the example of Job because he did not lose faith. He remained steadfast. He believed in God even though he could not understand his sufferings. And that may be you exactly today. And you may be crying out to the Lord saying, why and how long? For what reason? Why me? Why? I mean, this may be, this is who we are. This is who we are as humans. Waiting faithfully on the Lord is going to mean allowing God's grace to come and establish your heart. There's another, there's another way we show our patience, and that's actually in verse 8, or actually verse 9, I mean, how should we wait faithfully, establishing our hearts, yes, but verse 9 says, do not grumble against one another. Brothers, don't grumble, because if you do that, you'll be judged, behold, the judge is standing at the door. How tempting it is when we're going through a difficult time, how tempting it is when we are suffering. They get so frustrated with this circumstance that we take it out in another way. That we grumble about someone else. Say, have you done that? I know I have. I'm frustrated because of this and I complain about that, which has nothing to do with this. This person irritates me. That person irritates me. And because of that, I take it out on people. I think James sees right to our hearts knowing when the heat is turned up, we may be tempted to complain Contempted to grumble about each other. Tempted to be more irritated, more frustrated. So we have some avenues when we're frustrated with each other. I can either like forgive and overlook, that's an option. I can confront, address, and try to move this forward, that's an option. But what's not an option is to complain about it. To just complain about you. Complain about her, complain about him. Do not grumble against brothers also even in verse 12 it echoes the very words of jesus where okay here's how you can be patient your speech can be filled with integrity so that your yes is yes your no is no you're not saying one thing doing another because oh i'm going through this hard time so i i can kind of well my promises don't matter no no your speech so like listen how we talk be we, shows our patience. How we treat each other shows our patience. How we're establishing our hearts shows our patience. That is at least part of the picture of what it means to wait faithfully on the Lord. But here's the next question that I think James addresses, and that is, why should we be patient? Why? Why should we be patient? We don't we don't really feel like it. What are the motivations? What is the warrant? And we could say, well, you ought to be patient because God said so. End of sermon. Now go do it. But I actually find James going much, much deeper than just because God said so. Which is helpful because it's sometimes very, very hard to be patient when we're in a prolonged season. Why should we be patient? 
Let me give you a couple of reasons why I find in this passage that we should be patient. One of those reasons we can be patient, we should be patient, is because there is an end date to whatever we're going through. There is an end date. Things will get settled. Things will get resolved. Ultimate and perfect good will come. And in the end, bad is coming to an end for all time. There is a final judgment coming. There will be a reward. Much like the farmer gets the reward of the crops, there will be a reward for being patient. There will be a time of judgment and accounting for any sinful responses. This current state is not all there is. There is an end date. We can be patient because there is an end date. We might feel like we're hanging on and nothing's ever going to get resolved. Nothing's ever going to change. There's a way it's going to go on indefinitely. But in reality, that's not the case. There isn't an indefinite nature, not according to God, who sees all, knows all, knows the beginning, right now, the end, knows eternity past, eternity future, knows it all. There is an end date. This is a season, and that season will be over. Listen to the verses that kind of fix that, kind of tell us there is an end date. Verse 7, the Lord is coming. When he comes, things are made right. Verse 8, the Lord's coming is at hand. Verse 9, judgment is a possibility and the judge is standing at the door. Verse 12, condemnation is a possibility. Again, remember the judge is standing at the door. Judgment is coming. I think the passage is pointing us to the reality that at at a given time when you're wrestling through something and suffering through something, you feel like this is going to go on indefinitely. There's never going to end. And and this says, no, no, there is coming a time where it will end. It may seem a long way off, but in light of eternity actually isn't that far off. And you can be patient and endure. Easy to say, hard to live. How we're living right now matters because the judge is at the door. The decisions you're making to endure and to be patient, they matter. The fact that you have not given up, given in, that matters. Because the judge is at the door. The Lord's coming is at hand. And judgment, it's interesting in the Bible, it never sounds like something arbitrary. As if there's like this impersonal day of reckoning where we'll deal with some sort of aliens out there and they'll judge that, you know, that's never like that. In the Bible, judgment is always personal with a true and holy judge. A judge who is all wise, a judge who loves us, a judge who knows us. When I take a test, and sometimes I've had to take certification tests, and you take them online, and you fill it out, and you hit submit, and immediately, like, it says, congratulations, you passed, or why don't you try that again, and you take it again. It doesn't feel very personal. You just hit the form. It told you whether you passed or how different that is from an annual review with a supervisor one-to-one in an office. So we understand what personal judgment is all about. We'll stand before the Lord one day, and maybe, as James 1.12 says, because of our endurance, we will receive a crown of light. Or maybe, as 2 Timothy 4.8 says, we'll receive rewards because we loved his appearing. Or maybe we'll hear, as Matthew 25 says, well done, good and faithful servant. Judgment is coming, an encounter with the judge is coming. Why do we wait? Why be patient? Why not just... Like, let ourselves be all 
torn up and frustrated and angry and kind of lashing out. Why not do that? What does it matter? It matters because an end date is coming. And Scripture has told us, live today in light of that day. Live today in light of that day. But there's another reason to be patient. And I find it in verse 11. It says, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast because you've heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. When I don't feel like waiting, when it seems very hard to wait, I can wait because the Lord is good. Because what I'm experiencing as his child is not to destroy me. Oh, Satan may have a plan to destroy me. But God overrides all that and works all things together for good. Someone else may mean it for evil, but God is working and God is good. Look at the final outcome with Job. Look at where all this was tracking and not once did God leave Job. Not once will he leave you. Look at the character of our God in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is the one who's told you, be patient. Your life is in his hands already. You can trust him. You can wait patiently. You can endure. You can hang in there. You don't have to give up. Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Bible says, amazing book with lots of characters and lots of plots and lots of subplots, but the focal point of the Bible is the story of God coming in flesh in Jesus Christ. That's the focal point of the whole Bible. And, and the focal point of Jesus coming in the flesh, as you begin to zero in on like, what is Jesus like? If that's like what the whole Bible is about, it's pointing us to Jesus. What is he like? You find again, and I, I'm, I'm glad for Larry to lead us in the song about the goodness, the goodness of Jesus, because that is exactly what everybody who's encountering him, like you think of the demon-possessed man, you think of the ones with disabilities, you think of the ones that were uh, filled with lives of guilt and regret, and they met Jesus, and they met someone who was good and who loved them, loved them for who they are, loved them for what he was going to do in their lives. And then I think of the goodness of Jesus, not just by his life, but his death, even He's going to a cross. He's saying, Father, forgive them. This is a good Lord Jesus that we have. I think of how good and kind and compassionate and merciful Jesus is, even as he is resurrected. I think of the encounters, the early days after Jesus had risen from the dead, and I think of well, there was an encounter with Mary where he calls her by name. How good and kind to restore her hope. I think of the encounter he had with Peter and instead of words of scolding and dismissing him from like, you're not on the team anymore. I saw what you did. Instead of that, there's restoration. And I think of the encounter with Thomas where Thomas doubted, said, I got to see it for myself. And Jesus moves toward him. This is the goodness of Jesus in the resurrection. And then I think Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father and he's certainly good there as he is interceding for us and as he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us so that we would even have the presence of Jesus communicated to us regularly, living in us. 
And then I think of the personal intention of Jesus, how good it is that he says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless, but I will come to you, and I've prepared a place for you. And, and the emphasis there isn't so much about this amazing place he's prepared for us, but the emphasis is, I've prepared this place for you so that where I am, there you will be also, living with him. So I say, why would, why would I wait on the Lord? Why would I be patient? Because this Jesus who has rescued my life, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed, because he's got me in his hands and no one can take me out of the Father's hands because I'm in Christ. None of what I've said makes waiting really easy. None of it does. But I hope we get a glimpse in, okay, this is how I can wait on the Lord. And this is why I can be patient even as things are not like working out exactly like I want them to. Can I ask for the Lord's help for all of us as we're waiting on the Lord? Let me do that. Father, you can take your word and apply it in a thousand ways that I am asking you to apply it right now. For the one that is just worn out from waiting, or maybe the person that's just entering into a season where things aren't quite so certain anymore, Lord, we need your help. Show us what we need to do, but impress on us an end view that makes today's waiting more bearable. But ultimately, we, we don't just need a timeline and a chart. What we need is you to join us, to walk with us, to help us. So remind all of us today of your goodness. So as we wait patiently for you, strengthen our hearts establish us for even having gathered today. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.